Uh, this morning, I'm going to read these few verses from Matthew, but I want to set it up by just looking at what we're in a series, and really, I'm trying to help us understand verse 8, when Malachi comes to his congregation, and he says, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed you? And the Lord response responds in your tithes and contributions or your tithes and offerings. So we'll see how that connects in just a moment. But let's stand together as we read Matthew chapter 13, beginning with verse 44, just reading a few verses here. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. You may be seated. Let's take a few minutes to reflect together on God's word. As I mentioned, the next uh, sermon in this series, Malachi has been our visiting pastor here for the last few weeks, and his next sermon is on the subject of money. And so he looks at the congregation and he asks this question, will a man rob God? And the answer is implicit, yes, and you've robbed me, you've robbed God. And then they ask, well, how do we rob you? And the answer is they're not bringing into God's house the full tithes and offerings. And so God comes to the people that he's personally rescued out of slavery. He sees his people. He hears the cry of his people. He sees that they're enslaved. And he says, I'm going to make sure that I rescue, out of, rescue you out of slavery and bring you into the promised land, which is exactly what he promised. And he does that perfectly. And he brings them into this tremendous land that's full of milk and honey. It's got all kinds of things that they didn't have any way to supply for themselves. He's set it up for them. And they don't remain faithful in this promised land. And so as part of a disciplinary project, he sends them into exile. And for 70 years, they're in exile. And he then rescues them essentially again. It's like the same story. He rescues them not out of slavery, but out of exile. And he brings them back into Jerusalem. And that's Malachi's congregation. They're the people who have this history and they've been rescued out of exile and slavery. And God comes to them in this, in his, this sermon and he says, you're stealing from me. <laughs> I mean, I've saved you out of slavery. I, I brought you into a great land. I provided everything for you. I, I've brought you again out of exile. I'm, I've built a wall around you. I've re-established the temple. I've, I've done so many things. And, and what I've asked you to do is I've given you everything. 
And just as a reminder that all good things, all things come from God, I want you to give your first fruits. I want, to give, well, I want you to give 10%. I want you to give the first dime of every dollar back to the church, back to the temple. And then the other nine dimes in the dollar are yours to spend, to be a good steward of, to spend it as if I would be spending it in very wise ways. But God comes and says, but you're, you're stealing that one dime. E- even though I've given it to you, I've given you everything you have, you haven't earned any of it. The, the one little thin dime out of every dollar I'm asking for, you can't seem to give to me. And God calls that robbery. And of course, we've grown accustomed, if you've been here for the series, to, to Malachi's congregation's response. It's never a response of repentance. It's, only, it's always a response of questioning, of accusation. God comes in and says, you're robbing me. And instead of saying, oh, my gosh, how have we done that? Please help us. Please rescue us. They go, what do you mean we're robbing you? We don't get it. We don't see it. I mean, they have this sour attitude. They're they're never receiving God's word. They're always stiff arming. They're always saying, well, let let me get some pushback. Sort of like the, the spoiled teenager trying to deal with the parent, never receiving the discipline, only giving pushback, only giving excuses, only giving back a sour attitude. And God patiently responds each time as we've seen. And he says, see, you're robbing me because you're not bringing into the, the storehouse, the, the temple of the Lord, what you should he looks out into the congregation and he says, the people, the people in the pew are taking a portion of their paycheck that belongs to God. And instead of giving it to God, they're spending it on themselves. The portion that's supposed to be just for God, they say, you know what, we'd like to spend that on ourselves. We're, we're really the most important thing. And if we have something at the back end, then we'll give it to you. But we can't do it on the front end because the front end is us. And as long as we get everything we need, then if there's something on the back end, that's fine. And God's saying, you're not even bringing enough in. And your whole attitude needs a a turnaround. There's a a well-known biographer who was interviewed at one point, and he was interviewed about a biography that he had just produced. And during the interview, the, uh, the person asked them about the man that he had just rec- recently written a book about and said, well, how did you learn so much about the person? Was there one source that you went to that you really discovered sort of what this person was like? And the, the biographer responded, yes. I learned the most about this man by examining the stubs of his checkbook. I mean, there was a lot of other information out there, but I, but I got a hold of his checkbook. And I learned more about this man and what he treasured and what his soul was really for by just looking at how he wrote checks and to whom he wrote his checks. And so God is examining the stubs of the checkbook of Malachi's congregation, and he's discovering that although they sit in the pews each week, their hearts are very far from God. And he accuses them of stealing from himself and implores them to turn around, to change their ways. 
Well, that's next week's sermon. So if you're not going to be here next week, you just got the intro to next week's sermon. And it's hard hitting. It's difficult. It's not the easiest sermon to deliver. It's not the easiest sermon to hear. I'm sure it was difficult for Malachi and his congregation. But we want to be faithful to what the text says and we want to learn from it. But, but prior to being challenged by Malachi's sermon, I thought it would be helpful to listen to what Jesus says about real treasure. And that's why I picked out Matthew chapter 13, because I think it's important to, to have work done on your soul prior to work being done on your wallet. Because if we can't get the condition of our soul right, then the condition of our wallet's never really going to be right. Because even if you did give the right proportion of your money to God, if your soul wasn't in a good condition, if you, weren't, if you didn't come at it from a generous heart, if you didn't come at it from the cross, from the grace of God, then it would be either legalistic or it would be sour itself. See, I gave, I gave that, and you, it, there would be some kind, something sour, something demanding about it. So I want us to look at uh, Matthew chapter 13 and see some things about what Christ has to say to us, and then we'll use that. We'll just press pause at the end of the sermon and use that as we jump into Malachi chapter 3 next week. First, let's look at some context. Look at Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Uh, that same day, Jesus went out of the house. He's probably in Capernaum. That's up near the Sea of Galilee. That's sort of his adult hometown. And he sat beside the sea. He's in his favorite teaching spot, so to speak. And he's out by the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is 12 miles long and 7 miles wide. So if you stand in a, in a particular place, you can see the whole thing in one big view. And Jesus is there. This is the place that he walked on water. This is where the storm came up for the disciples. This is where he's at, in his really in his sweet spot. He's just by the sea and he's teaching. And a great crowd gathered around him so that he got into the boat. Imagine the crowd's so big that he has to get into the boat, kind of like the pulpits pushed away from the seats in the congregation. And the whole crowd is standing on the beach and he's listening to them. And he's tell, telling them many things in parables. He, he's beginning in chapter 13, this sermon series. And it's really a series of stories. It's, it's Jesus pulling out his first century PowerPoint. And he's saying, here, let me tell you some things about the kingdom of heaven. And I just want to tell you in these parables, these stories, these earthly stories that have a heavenly meaning. And so he first starts out, you can see, with the, the parable of the sower. Many of you are familiar with that. The, the farmer goes out and scatters the seed and it lands on four different types of soil. And then if you look at uh, verse 10, the disciples come after he tells the story and they say, why are you speaking to them in parables? And Jesus answered, verse 11, to you it has been given to know the secrets of of the kingdom of heaven. So that's the purpose of these parables. The, the, the sower and the rest of these that are follow is Jesus is saying to the, in this particular teaching series, I'm talking about the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And then you see, as he goes through verse 24, 
He says another parable. This is the parable about the wheat and the weeds that are growing together. You can't really tell them apart. And he says in verse 24, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. And he goes on to talk about that. Then in verse 31, he says another parable. He put another parable before them. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of a mustard seed. And then he goes on, verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven or yeast that is in bread. And then you skip down to verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Verse 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. Verse 47, the kingdom of heaven is like a net. So this is his series. He's in Matthew 13 and he's saying, this is I'm going to just tell you about the kingdom of heaven. I'm trying to help you see some things that maybe you haven't been able to see before. And if you would turn back to Matthew chapter four, verse 17, you'd say this is the same extension of the same message. When Jesus comes out of the desert, the first thing he says is repent for the the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is breaking in right now into this world. And now he's explaining something about it in chapter 13. And so one of my questions is, well, what is the kingdom of heaven? Obviously, that's an important thing. And I would say it's not a realm. It's a reign. It's not a place. It's not some place that you go, well, now I'm in the kingdom of heaven. I'm over here. It's a position that you're in. It's not a realm. It's a reign. It's it's not a place. It's a position. One commentator says this, the kingdom of heaven is the joyful recognition of God's rule over your heart and life. The kingdom of heaven is the joyful recognition that God's reign, God's rule is over your life. You're not in a place, you're in a position, you're you're underneath the reign and the rule of God. And so the kingdom of heaven is breaking into the New Testament world. The kingdom of heaven is still breaking into this world. When you and I decide to to live out from underneath our own reign and decide to live underneath God's reign. Uh, The kingdom of heaven is breaking in when we say, I'm giving up self-sovereignty to live underneath God's sovereignty. That's what the kingdom of heaven is. And I think it's important to notice here in in the series of chapter 13 The kingdom of heaven doesn't arrive like you might expect. I mean, when I think about the kingdom of heaven, I think of something big and grand. The kingdom of heaven is something, some 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 big force marching in. And of course, that's true in one way. But in these parables, you see something that you wouldn't really expect. The the kingdom of heaven is not it's not flashy. In, In fact, it's not immediately impressive. It's not like the launch of a modern political campaign. No, the kingdom of heaven breaks into the world by by capturing one human heart at a time. Which is why, when Jesus describes it, he uses these pictures like seeds. In fact, the tiniest little seed. It's like the tiniest little seed. You can hardly see it. It's like a little piece of yeast. I mean, if you put it in the dough, you can't necessarily see it. It's like the weeds and the wheat are growing together and they're hard, it's hard to tell them apart. So it's not flashy. It's not immediately impressed, impressive. It's something that's tiny. 
And then it begins to work out. C.S. Lewis says this, Christianity is the story how the rightful king has landed, you might say, in disguise. And is calling us to take part in his great campaign of sabotage. See, see, the king has landed. And you might anticipate when the king lands, everybody knows it. But, but you know what? Very few people know it. In fact, in John chapter 1, John says this, The true light that gives light to every man is coming into the world. The true light that gives light to every man has landed on the planet. Well, if it's the true light that's landed on the planet, you would anticipate everyone would see it. And then he goes on to say he was in the world and he made everything in the world. So the light of the world has come into the onto this planet. The creator of the world has come onto the planet. And then John concludes, though the world was made through him. The world didn't recognize him. <laughs> the king came and he was like a tiny little seed. He was hardly recognizable. He wasn't immediately impressive. There wasn't anything that was particularly flashy in so many ways. And so the king and the kingdom is, is not flashy. It begins small, begins in unnoticeable ways. And if you're part of Jesus's campaign, as we are as a church, it's more like sabotage. It's, it's more like undercover. It's not something that you would necessarily say looks impressive. And the reason I mention that is because I think this truth, this understanding that comes from the context of the chapter is really helpful for the, the Christian who's captured by the popular culture. And I've, I've had a tendency to, to, to be this person. You probably have as well, but it, it's the it's the person who somehow is is hoping that the, the, the right Hollywood movie would come out. And if we just get Hollywood on our side, if we get the right actor or the right athlete to stand up and give this you know, proclamation, then then somehow that's going to really move a, a massive amount of people into the kingdom that that we're using the platform. We're using the, the stage that that the world has offered. And that's not really the way Jesus is moving. I'm not saying he can't use those things, but that's not what you see in the Bible most often. It's not hoping that the right Hollywood movie would come out. It's not hoping for the right political candidate. It's not hoping for the right book launch. It's not hoping for the right platform or the right blog or the right website. Thinking that those things are going to change the world. One day when Jesus comes, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. That day will happen, but that's not today. I mean, I hope it is. I'd, ha I'd be happy if it were right now. But it's not today. Today, it's like a seed. It's like a tiny piece of yeast. It doesn't look immediately impressive. I think it also offers encouragement, particularly to those of us here who are in direct ministry. You're a mentor of somebody. You're a Sunday school teacher, you're a small group leader, you're involved in Young Life or Lifeline or crew or 
any a number of these other places where, where you're out there, you're in direct ministry, you're trying to make something happen in some way. And you know what? What you do isn't immediately impressive. I mean, it's nice and you like it, but I mean, from the world's viewpoint, it's not big and it's not flashy. It doesn't always appear as if much is taking place. I think about what happens here on Wednesdays with the Royal Palms group. And so we have, I don't know, you know, 25, 30 kids that come here for the tutoring. And this past week we've had moms for the ESL come here. And Sharon, it's, it's not immediately impressive, is it? I mean, it's awesome in one way. When, when you come up there and you see it, you just go, this is awesome. But, but compared to the whole world, it, it's, it's, it's not immediately impressive. It doesn't look like a whole lot's being done. But you know what you, you know, what I know, what Sharon knows is we're like bakers. And we got this little piece of yeast called Jesus. And we're just kneading it into the life of a kid or into a life of a community. And we're trusting that this little effort... This little thing over time and eternity to come mushroom to be bigger than you could possibly imagine. But today, you may need to be encouraged that, that your effort may not be immediately impressive. It's not particularly flashy. And the God, God is saying, well, that's how the kingdom of, of God in this world at this time, that's how it advances. So I think that's... An important point. The kingdom of heaven is the, the rule and the reign of Christ over your life. Second, let's just look at these two parables. They're very short, obviously, in nature. They're, they're very intertwined together. And there's three things that I think you, you could see immediately that I want to just talk to you for a few minutes about. Number one, that the kingdom of heaven is a treasure. Number two, the treasure has a cost. And number three, there's a, I think there's a sense of urgency to act. So the kingdom of heaven is like, it's like a treasure. It's like a great pearl of great value. But these things, this treasure, this pearl, it, it does have a cost. And then there's an urgency in which you should act if you've seen the treasure. Number one, obviously one of the primary points of the parable is that the the rule or reign of Christ, the kingdom of heaven, is, is priceless. You, can't, you just can't put a price on the, the kingdom of heaven. And that's true, of course. But um, notice that Jesus didn't just come and say, OK, guys, let's all sit down. I'm getting in a boat, pushing back. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is priceless. OK, that means I always showed up for kingdom of heaven. I mean, you could have texted me that saved me some time. I mean, that just, I mean, it's nice, but I mean, it's just a fact. And Jesus is a great master teacher. So people are crowding up to hear him. They're at the edge of the water. And he says, I want you to know the kingdom of heaven. It's like a treasure. And immediately, do you not? You turn into Jack Sparrow. <laughs> yes, I know. Arr, you want to say yes. 
I'm a pirate. You, you know what a treasure is like. You, it's sort of in your heart to say, oh, yeah, a treasure like a chest full of gold. And I just happen to find it. And you've got a patch on your eye. You can kind of see yourself in the story, can you not? It's a treasure. And so you're sort of immediately captured by it. Maybe you're saying, I'm too old for Jack Sparrow. I didn't watch those movies when they came out. Well, okay, think about the Antiques Roadshow, okay? If you're in the PBS crowd, right? You're a little bit older. You don't go to the movies that much. So I'm not looking at anyone in general. Don't send me an email. And so just, so you know, you've got the picture out of your grandma's attic, right? And she gave it to me, and I mean, we used it for a table decoration for a while. And, and you bring it to the Antiques Roadshow, and they go, my goodness, did you see this signature down here? It's worth $10 million. And you're like, yeah, it's a treasure. Sorry, I put my coffee cup on that. I mean, you know, you, you can feel that, can you not? It's a treasure. The kingdom of God, it's like a treasure. What a great teacher. Not just say, hey, it's priceless. Okay, next point is, no, it's like a treasure. You just discovered it. It's got incredible value. Or maybe all of us can relate to the, to the I may again be getting myself in trouble, but the, the nerdy guy on the beach with the wand. You know this guy, don't you? Got the dark socks pulled up. He's got the little metal detector. I mean, you're kind of embarrassed. You don't know the guy. You're never going to talk to him, but you're embarrassed a little bit. Are you not just by being on the beach at the same time? So he's... Eep. Beep, beep, beep. But I know, I know you're like me in this way. If you're sitting there, beep, 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 you, 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 treasure. I mean, this guy found my treasure. Why didn't I find it? And, and there's a little bit of pirate in all of us. There's a little bit of, come on, say it. There's a little bit of metal detector guy in us all. Isn't there? Isn't there? Treasure because beep, 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 that makes my heart skip. Maybe it's the lost pirate treasure right here at Riceville Beach. I don't know. But you see how God is, is, is capturing the imagination of this crowd. The kingdom of God is like this an incredible treasure. And when you find this treasure, according to these both of these parables, you're going to reorient your entire life around it. You're never going to be the same. When you find this treasure, when you find this particular pearl, your whole life is then going to be reoriented around this particular find. And Jesus' audience would have understood the buried treasure. I mean, in the first century, there wasn't a bank. There wasn't a safety deposit box. There wasn't a safe. And so if you had valuables and raiders were coming into your land or your land was war-torn, what would you do? You would bury the treasure. It's exactly what happened with the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found, you know, 50 years ago. They were buried for 1,950 years. And a shepherd boy who was looking at some sheep tossed a rock into a cave and heard a, a, a pop of a, a clay pot breaking. And he goes down and finds the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's a treasure buried. So they understood it. And here in this particular one, this tenant farmer, somebody who doesn't own this land, he, he maybe he's out there plowing, he's digging something up, and then... And he, expression, it's a treasure. 
And when he finds his treasure, he he completely reorients his whole life. He lets everything go to obtain this one treasure. And so the first point of application is. Is that how you think about Jesus? I mean, is he a treasure? I'm not asking if you're a follower of God. Because if you'd come to Malachi's congregation and said, who's a follower of God? Everyone would have raised their hand. But see, God wasn't a treasure. I'm not asking if you regularly come to church. Everybody in Malachi's day regularly came to church, but God wasn't their treasure. I'm asking you, is Jesus your treasure? Have you completely reordered your life around Jesus? And that life includes how you spend your money. If you haven't, then he's not he's not yet the treasure. He's he's like an attachment. I have my life. Oh, I found Jesus. I put him in my right hand pocket and I use him whenever it's handy. See, that's not the nature of these parables. It's I let go of everything I have to get this one thing because it's it's so valuable. And the reason I'm asking you that question right now is because when we get to Malachi's instructions next week about the tithe, about 10 percent, about you giving the first dime of every dollar of you looking at your checkbook and your checking account and and asking God, am I giving the right way? If Jesus isn't your treasure, if you haven't completely reoriented your life, reordered your life around Jesus, then this message from Malachi is either going to seem crazy or cruel. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I got a dollar or two every now and then or. It's crazy. I, could, I mean, I'd have to reorder my whole life if I gave 10 percent. Yeah, you would. That's what God's asking, reordering your whole life around him. See, if he's not your treasure, then when we get to Malachi 3, you're just going to feel like Paul brought up the, the money back. And I'm, I'm not trying to bring out the money back. I'm trying to bring out the treasure. And I'm trying to let that be your motive for giving, not a bad. Jesus says, Matthew 6, 21, you know this, where your treasure is. I, I mean, I can locate your heart by locating your treasure. So is Jesus your treasure? A sermon by Josh Harris asked the question at this point, if, if you were to create your own parable about the kingdom of heaven... What would your comparison be? If you were to create your own parable about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then you get to create your own parable. What would your your story be? See, because a lot of us have very warped views of of what this treasure is. The kingdom of heaven is like uh, it's like finding insurance policy. It's not particularly valuable now, but really comes in handy at the very end. Maybe that's what some of us think about Jesus as being the treasure. I mean, he's good for vacation Bible school stories. He's real great at your funeral. But in between, 
I don't know. I mean, he's just in a safe somewhere. Is that how you might think about Jesus? The kingdom of heaven is like uh, it's like a really long to do list. It's like an owner's manual. Maybe some of you and I ran into this a lot when I worked with high school students. The kingdom of heaven or Jesus's rule and reign in my life is like. Discovering a ball and chain. And I've wrapped it around my wrist so I can't have fun anymore. (laughs) That's what a lot of people think about Jesus being a part of their life. He's this ball and chain and he's really eliminating all kinds of fun in my life. And that's the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is saying, no, it's like a treasure. Do you see it? It's, It's more valuable than anything you have in your life. It's more valuable than everything in your life. It's like a treasure. So is Jesus your treasure. Number two, treasure has a cost. This, this one treasure is worth selling all your possessions. Maybe you see this most clearly with the, the merchant. You know, the merchant, he's looking for pearls. The, the guy with the treasure, he just happened upon it. But the merchant, he's a buyer and seller of precious pearls. Which back in the New Testament days, some of them could would be millions of dollars for one pearl. And he knows good pearls from bad pearls. And he tries to buy the better pearls at the better prices. And he's got this sort of cachet of pearls. And he finds one pearl of great value. And he realizes this one pearl, it blows away the value of every other pearl. So I go back to my store and I say, employees, we're liquidating the entire stock. I've got to get every penny out of my business so I can buy one pearl. So to obtain the treasure, the man has to go home and sell all that he has. To, to obtain the pearl, the merchant has to go home and sell everything he has. So, so to obtain it is, comes at a cost. Now, I don't think that should be stretched in a way to mean that you should go home and sell all of your possessions. I think it's saying that none of your possessions should possess you. And if you have something that possesses you, you should go home and sell it. And that could be an object or it could be something else. I mean, you, you do realize how easy your heart is to be possessed, don't you? Your car. Your house. You close. Maybe it's comfort or position or a title. Maybe you're possessed by a sinful habit. You say, well, tomorrow is going to be the last day, but it's always tomorrow. It's never today. An old practice. So maybe you're possessed by an emotion like anger or bitterness. Maybe for some of us who thought you could be good enough to get into heaven. And you have kind of a catalog. Here are all the sacrifices I've made. Here are the sacrifices I've made. Nobody knows. Here are the good deeds I've done. And I have the Paul Phillips catalog of good deeds. And it's a possession where God owes me. And so what you have to get rid of, if that's you and it was me, You have to get rid of all your self-righteousness. 
Maybe you are the person who came from a background of diverse religions and what you thought was, well, God's up at the top of the mountain. There's a bunch of different roads to get up there. And, you know, I just sort of like a patchwork quilt. I took a little bit from there and a little bit from there. My grandma's used to say that. My teacher said this. And I just got this sort of personal religion. And it's made up of a bunch of different thoughts and they sort of work together for me. When you find a pearl of great price, you have to get rid of your patchwork quilt. One patch. Jesus. See, there's a lot of things you have to give up in order to obtain this one thing. You know, the Apostle Paul's commentary on this verse or these parables, Philippians chapter three, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What, it, what, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. See, what a treasure. I mean, you could just feel it. Paul knows, I found a treasure on the Damascus Road. And now everything else I had, whether it was a possession or whether it was a position, it's all rubbish to me. I have lost all things and I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. But did you see Paul's main emphasis? I've found a treasure. And I'm not losing, I'm gaining. The things that I'm losing are garbage. I'm gaining Christ. Do you see how his whole internal view has completely shifted? It's not saying, oh, my gosh, I've got to go home and write, my, write this out of my checkbook. And, and well, I guess that's $100 down. I mean, you see, that's not at all what I'm talking about. I'm talking about treasure. That whatever you may have bought, whatever may have been possessing you, it's trash. It's all going to be consumed in a great fire one day. But this is going to last forever. And the Apostle Paul has been captured by this treasure. His heart has been captured by it. And I hope that yours has too. Most of you are familiar with the story of the rich young ruler, Luke 18. Here's a man looking for treasure. Man, he was looking. He was like the merchant. And he had a lot of pearls. So he comes to Jesus like this merchant. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? I'm looking for the treasure. I'm, I'm angling towards the treasure. I'm doing everything I can to get to the treasure. What must I do? I feel like I haven't gotten it yet. I've kept all the commands. See, I've done all the right things. And Jesus looks at him and says, you're just lacking one thing. Yes, young man, you're right at the threshold of the eternal kingdom of God that has an inheritance that's priceless. You're one step away. And there's just one thing that possesses you that you must let go of in order to possess it. And that's your wealth. Imagine. Imagine. You're looking at Jesus. You're looking at the pearl of great price in his face. And he says, come on, come follow me. You're just one step away. 
from eternal wealth that's beyond anything you could imagine. And the man looks at his garbage and says, I can't let go of my garbage. Oh, what a sad moment. Now, he thought it was treasure. But is that treasure to him today? No. (laughs) No. And he walks away sad. He saw the treasure. He, he, He found the treasure. He found the pearl of great price. But he looked at the trash of his life and says, that, that's possessing my heart. And I can't give that up. Jesus is a treasure. He's obtained at a price. Number three, and finally, in closing, there's, I think there's a sense of urgency, a sense of decisive action that I think you feel in the stories, but I think it's also bookend in a way that to give you that sense of urgency. Look at um, chapter 13, verse 40. Jesus is explaining the parable about the weeds and the wheat that are growing together. And he says this in verse 40, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. Those people who don't know me, those people who live underneath their own reign, The Son of Man will send His angels. They will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. And then He tells these two parables. And then He finishes with this final parable, the parable of the net. This is the second bookend. Again, the kingdom of heaven was like a net thrown into a sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good and threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, I think there's a sense of eternal urgency when you hear this message. You you notice that when the man found the pearl of great price, he didn't say, you know, let me go to Amazon and see what they have. I mean, who knows? I mean, it seems like a valuable pearl, but I need to shop around a bit. That's not what he does. They're not comparison shopping. They're going back and getting rid of everything because they know they found the great treasure. And they're not saying, well, mm, let me visit this. I mean, maybe I can come back every Sunday and visit the pearl. Say, wow, it's a valuable pearl. One day I'll take it up for myself. No, that's not what they do. They don't say I'm going to come back later for the pearl or the treasure. They go immediately, sell all they have so they can obtain this one great pearl, this one great treasure. Jesus says this is a very strange verse couple of chapters before, Matthew chapter 11. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. If you want to lay hold of the kingdom of God, it's got to be with force. It's got to be with decisiveness. It's got to be, I'm giving rid of anything that possesses my heart and soul right now to get this thing. And it's going to be a violent act. 
It's going to be a wrenching of yourself out of some things to say, but this is the pearl of great price. And even though it's costing me all I have for 20 or 30 years, for a trillion years, I'm going to have eternity with Jesus and inheritance I cannot measure. So I will violently separate myself from things in this world that one day, if I'm holding on to, I'm going to be plucked out and thrown into a fiery furnace. It's a serious parable. It requires a decisive action now. But not because of that, but because he's a treasure. Notice the man, he finds the treasure and he goes and gets rid of everything he has. But what does it say about his attitude? In joy. This is really no hardship if you know the treasure. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, with these few verses, two little stories tucked away have so much power. And I'm sure this message is uh, powerful in every time and in every culture. But in America, people swamped with rubbish and they can't give away 10% because they've really focused in on themselves and not the treasure. Lord, this is a message not to the people outside the walls and what they should do. It's it's to the congregation. To say, is Jesus really your treasure? So each one of us need to examine carefully. We We actually need you to examine us carefully. We're not good examiners of our own soul. That you would come in and say, yeah, that this message today, that was for you. And you point out the thing that possesses the soul of the believer here and let them forcefully get rid of it to possess the one thing that lasts forever. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.